This is Partners in Practice, a weekly series dedicated to the evolving field of the advanced practice clinician. Partners in Practice is produced this week in cooperation with the Association of Family Practice Physician Assistants, offering three annual CME conferences for PAs and NPs at family-friendly destinations nationwide. Now, here is your host, physician assistant, Lisa DeAndre Linnell. Money Magazine ranked physician assistants as the number two best job in America. U.S. News and World Report ranks physician assistant as the best career. All signs show that choosing a career as a PA was a great choice. But the profession is not recession-proof, and like most jobs in this current economy, there is increased competition for employment. Now, more than ever, it's time to polish up on your interviewing skills. My guest today is physician assistant Bob Blum. Bob has been a surgical physician assistant for over 40 years, and he's been an enormous contributor to the PA profession at every level. Bob is a distinguished fellow of the AAPA and has served as an administrator, clinician, and a mentor for PAs. And we're happy to have him here today to discuss interviewing pearls for physician assistants. Hi, Bob. Welcome to Partners in Practice. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Lisa. Bob, what is the current job market for PAs? Well, to sum it up in one word, it's excellent. With 31 million people possibly entering the healthcare system, we're going to see a tremendous increase in the need for jobs. Family practice will experience an explosion that's going to be like the beginning of the world. And this will kind of represent our second opportunity to become one of the three lead healthcare providers. I'd say the job market is kind of like a sunny day in San Diego. That's a fantastic answer. Well, one of the best parts of the PA profession is the diversity of employment. There are so many opportunities for PAs in medical and non-medical settings. And I have many students ask me, what type of job should I look for when I graduate? How should a new PA decide what type of job is right for them? Well, I looked at this sentence, particularly a new PA. And in the past, I've expressed to my own students my personal feeling, which is this. You do not become a PA when you graduate, nor when you pass your NCCPA boards. It requires another two years to put it together, to become comfortable with patients, to become creative in your approach to a differential diagnosis. So based upon this premise, and it's my own personal premise, a new PA, a new graduate, is not an expert in any specialty. And therefore, they should resist seeking their, quote-unquote, dream job and be satisfied to start with any opportunity that will afford them mentoring and the opportunity to learn their craft while being paid. So where do you start, whether you're new or an experienced PA? Where do you start the job search, and what resources are available to PAs to help with that search? Okay, there are three different places. There are publications there are newsletters, and then there are your internet sites. As far as publications, there's no one publication that manages to secure all of the jobs that are available for PAs. So people will sign on with this magazine or this journal or another journal and so on. There'll be diversity. So you need to look at all of the PA journals. And among them, I would look in advance for NPs and PAs, I'd look at clinician reviews, JAPA, and clinical advisor. When it comes to the physician specialty journals, 
wherever there is a specialty, there's usually a special society. They have their own journals or their newsletters, and they have the opportunity, if you join, become a member, to look on the back and to look at their job boards. When you look at the Internet itself, you look at the sponsor of this program, ReachMD. ReachMD has a job board, as does Advanced Practice Jobs, Bill's PA World, Advanced for NPs and PAs, and Clinician Ones. So these are all great opportunities to stimulate your mind and to look for something. What about social networking sites such as LinkedIn? Do you think those are a good place? And what are kind of the do's and don'ts about posting your resume on these sites? Okay, I personally would not post my resume online. Why? Because anyone can copy it. Anyone can gather your ideas or your style. So I would wait until a personnel director asked me specifically to send them my resume. Taking that under consideration, you need to realize that your resume is a one-dimensional snapshot of you as a person, whereas an interviewer needs to meet the person and then go back to some of the high points of the resume. When you observe almost all PA resumes for new graduates, seems like everyone's a twin brother or a twin sister. They all had the same rotations and the <laughs> same classes and so on. So what can you do that's different? You can join your state society. You can say you're a fellow or a student member of a specialty group. You can become the student board member. You can author or co-author an article with another PA. Those are the additional things that will make you stand out because that's what I do when I read a resume. What stands out and what makes this person a little bit different? If you're just joining us, you're listening to Partners in Practice on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with Bob Blum, and we're discussing interviewing pearls for physician assistants. So, Bob, I landed the interview. What do I need to do to prepare? Okay. My daughter sent me a book a year ago. It was called 212 Degrees. And I'm going to quote a very small part of it. It says, at 211 degrees, water is hot. At 212 degrees, it boils. And with boiling water comes steam. And steam can power a locomotive. And it's that one extra degree that makes all the difference. So many times in business and in life and in the PA profession, it's that one extra degree of effort that separates the good from the great. So you need to strive to be the best you can possibly do. You need to strive to communicate that message to the person who's going to interview you. What are some of those things that can get us that extra degree? Some of the things I can get in it is a passion actually for the field that you're planning on going into, and then preparation, reading something about it, beginning to feel what it is to be in the patient's moccasins. If you are able to think of an oncology patient and their fears and their concerns concerning the future and their families, then you're able to communicate to not only the family but to other healthcare providers, and you'll have a finer appreciation in your own approach to that patient. Well, first impressions we all know are very important. So could you remind us how we're supposed to dress for the interview? As far as dressing for an interview, I'd say it's 
Well, it's dressing appropriately. If you're a female, you should be wearing either a suit or a blouse or sweater along with a skirt and, and a pair of high heels and a matching shoes and matching bag. If you're a male, don't come in jeans or scrubs or in your khakis, but put on a sport jacket, a white shirt and tie, or put on a suit because it's a sign of respect for the people who you're going to meet. In addition to that, and it would take care of perhaps any other questions in this, reduce the amount of jewelry. You're not going out to a Saturday night show. Take off your Rolex because the CEO might be wearing a Timex and now he's going to be embarrassed. If you have tattoos, cover the tattoos because not everyone sees them in the same manner. If you have religious symbols, remove the religious symbols beforehand. And if you have a lapel, use one button, perhaps with your state or national organization or the American flag, rather than do like some of us old-timers did. We used to wear four or five, and it began to look like we were wearing a Boy Scout merit badge sash. What questions should we be prepared for them to ask us? All right. If you're thinking of what they perhaps are going to ask us, I would start off by saying, They may ask, why are you considering this job, this hospital, this office? Why are you considering this company? What professional experience do you have? What can you bring to the table? They have your CV in front of them, but they may ask you further questions on your education. Why did you leave your last employer? And when you respond to that question, don't say because he was cheap and nasty. If you have nothing nice to say, my father used to say, don't say anything at all. Just be silent about it by just saying it was time to move on. Most of these people are going to say, where do you see yourself in five years? They want to see if you think futuristically, if you're creative. They're going to ask, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And you should know your strengths and you should know your weaknesses. And if you know your weaknesses, you need to be self-reflective and sit in front of your mirror or better still, speak to your spouse And say, where can you improve if you have a spouse or significant other? Where can you improve? And they'll always ask how your friends would describe you and why we should give you this particular job. I'd also suggest that when you're speaking to these people, that you look them in the eyes because the eyes are the windows of the soul. And if you can manage, even if it's going to break your face, try to smile. Because if you're a smiling person, you make everyone else feel secure, and you're going to make your patients feel secure. And what questions should we be prepared to ask them regarding like malpractice, hours, call, any top things that we should be asking at that first interview? I think you just hit some of them right on the head, some that I wasn't even thinking of. But who pays for the malpractice? Or what kind of malpractice do we have? What are the limitations on it? Do you offer CME? Do you offer a differential for night shifts? Do I get an opportunity to take vacation? How many weeks vacation do I get to begin with? And you may ask questions in relationship to the location. What is the cost of living in that particular location? What schools are there for your children? This demonstrates that you're not only concerned about getting a job, but you're concerned about supporting your family and giving them a good lifestyle. So what are some of the biggest mistakes people make when they're interviewing for a job? Well, some of the biggest mistakes that they make is the fact that they arrive late. If anyone has to wait five minutes for you, as far as I'm concerned, I cross their name off the book. 
Some people look like they slept in their car. I have a friend that I referred to in ER. He left one ER job, drove to the next ER, slept in the back seat. Of course, people that were going to interview him the next day saw him in the parking lot sleeping, and that's how he came in, looking like he slept in the car. Lack of preparation on any front. A poor confidence level. If you can't instill confidence in your interviewers, how are you going to instill confidence in your patients or in the rest of the team, including the nurses? Then the opposite of that is being overconfident and cocky. No one likes a cocky individual. So that bespeaks of an attitude problem. If you make negative comments about a past employer, that's a big mistake. Being blasé or a poor listener or an overemphasis on vacations and money. And lastly, a failure to be likable. To be likable, you have to be warm, you have to be upfront, you have to use that smile, you need to use the eye contact. What advice do you have for a PA who is trying to develop the first PA role in a company? Well, I've been in that situation before, personally. I was the first PA, we'll say, in three hospitals and in a retail healthcare clinic. When I was in the hospitals, no one knew what a PA was. The nurses didn't know, the administrators didn't know, most of the doctors didn't know. I was creating a path where there was none before. So if I saw a patient walking around the hospital like they were lost, I helped to find the department they were looking for. If I saw something on the ground, I picked it up. It was not a job that was too menial. If I passed a room and I saw a nurse having difficulty with a patient, perhaps getting them in bed, I helped that patient and I helped that nurse. In one particular hospital, a nurse made a small error. I checked on the patient. The patient had not been injured and I actually covered her error by writing a note and writing an order, and the nurses saw that I was someone who was on their side, and that's all they had to know. The only other things you need to answer your phone when you're called, answer your beeper when you're called, and you need to be competent and caring about your patients. Those are things you can't hide. You can't fake it. You're either caring and competent or you're not, and people will see that very, very quickly. Bob, great advice, and thank you so much for coming on the show. It is an absolute pleasure. We've been talking with Bob Blum, and I thank him for taking us back to the basics and reminding us that we may be the best fit for the job, but we have to get hired first. Partners in Practice has been produced this week in cooperation with the Association of Family Practice Physician Assistants, offering three annual CME conferences for PAs and NPs at family-friendly destinations nationwide. You can download this program or any other program at our library at ReachMD.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening.